Good morning, and welcome to On Target, a radio ministry of Village Bible Church in Hot Springs Village. We are located near the Coronado Center at 100 Ponderosa Way. Our Sunday morning service starts at 9.15 a.m. We hope you will enjoy and benefit from the sermon you will hear this morning. Now sit back and relax as you listen to a message by Senior Pastor Dr. Jason Lancaster. I want to start off by saying one of the things that really pumps me up is when I speak to missionaries. They get me so excited. I remember within a week or two-week frame, I spoke to a couple of missionaries. One took a short-term trip to India, and another came back just from a long-term stint in China. And as I was speaking to them, I was getting so excited of all the work God was doing there, what they were seeing, people coming to Jesus, people being cared for. And talking to people like that just really fires me up. But a common misconception is that the radical work that God does overseas cannot be duplicated in America. That somehow the sacrifice and and the prayers and the steps of faith are, are only for those who are overseas, but those of us on uh, American soil are, are destined for this rut of apathy. Don't you believe it? The same God who is working overseas is the same God that is working in America, and the same God that is using people overseas is the same God that wants to use you here. And I believe that God has called you and molded you and crafted you in such a way to have maximum impact here and now wherever you are. And that's the reality we're going to see this morning as we turn back to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. Matthew 5, verses 11 through 16 is what we're going to cover today if you want to look at that in your Bible. Matthew 5, 11 through 16. But rather than read the word, I just want you to listen to the word. Just listen to it right now. This is the word of God. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and and put it under a bowl. Instead, they they put it on its stand so it can give light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men 
that they may see your good deeds and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That is a snippet of the Beatitudes within the Sermon on the Mount as it it branches out and starts to focusing on ways that kingdom people can make a kingdom impact that God has called you and that he wants to bless you and he wants to bless you as you are impacting others for the glory of God. So as we start to move into the Sermon on the Mount, this morning we're going to see this kingdom impact. As believers live their lives under the reign of the king, get this, they're going to be distinct from the world, and at the same time, they're going to engage the world. You got those two? Distinct from the world, and yet at the same time, engage the world. And this distinction plus engagement will lead to this maximum impact for the glory of God. Because the reality is, we don't want to waste our lives. We are surrounded by people in a world that wastes their lives. I just heard today that, I don't know if you know this, but you know the number of hours that are watched on YouTube per day? It's like well over a billion, if not more than that. And and if you wonder, well, how much is over a billion hours? Well, if you put it all together, that is 114,000 years. So every single day on YouTube, the hours add up to 114,000 years. That's a lot of wasted time. Now, of course, if you're watching sermons and all that, that's fine. But what I'm getting at, that's a lot of wasted years and a lot of wasted time. And we don't want to people, be people who waste our lives. We want to have impact for the glory of God. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. But sometimes when we branch out to have impact, we're going to get pushback and we're going to be challenged. And that's where we're going to start. Matthew chapter 5 Look at verse 10 and 11. Blessed are you. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Verses 11 and 12 is an elaboration of the eighth beatitude and transitions into describing one of the world's responses to those who follow Jesus. Now, it's one of the world's responses. We're going to see another response at the end from the world to those who follow Jesus. But in this context here, it's persecution, false accusations, physical attacks. It's because we follow Jesus. And and the range of opposition here can be from false accusations at your work because people don't like you following Jesus all the way to Christians being beheaded for converting to Christ. Either way, when opposition comes, look what it says in verse 12, that it should lead to rejoicing because great is your reward in heaven and also that you are connected with the prophet's who are before you. Uh, Let's take those two. 
We should rejoice in persecution because we have a reward waiting for us in heaven. Seeing Christ, being with Christ. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4.17 puts it like this. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So there is suffering now, and yet the glory that we're going to get being with the Lord in heaven is going to surpass it by so much more. And, And not only is there a reward in heaven, but we also stand with the Old Testament prophets. You think about the Old Testament prophets, they're preaching the word of God. So we're connected with them. We're preaching the word of God as well. But we're also connected with them that as they preach the word, they suffered. And as we proclaim the word from time to time, we suffer. But God said to the Old Testament prophets, you're blessed. God says to his people today who suffer, you're blessed. Now, most of us are not familiar with physical suffering for the gospel. But I think it's important for us to hang out with people who do or have an affinity with those who have been persecuted. Because when we are around those who've been persecuted for their faith, it pumps us up to be more bold. See, one time when I was living in Chicago, I went to get my hair cut. And the person who cut my hair was from Iran. And she always told me about stories of persecution. But one day I was getting my hair cut. Another woman came in and she was getting her hair cut. And she was a legit believer from Iraq. Her dad was a pastor. And she told me that her dad was on the hit list to be killed. But her dad pastored a church in Chicago. And he was still on the hit list to be killed. He was a target as well as the church. So there were, at this time, there were a lot of real, these are real threats because people were being killed in her country for their faith. She told me that that night in Chicago at midnight, they were going to start celebrating their Christmas. And I was listening to her story and I'm like, man, let me just pray for you, okay? And so right there with her cape on and her hair color in, I'm praying for her in the the salon. And, And when I finished praying for her, she's like, hey, you want to come? You want to come to our church tonight? And as soon as she asked me if I wanted to go to her church that night, I was stuck. And I was thinking to myself, uh, I don't know what to say because you just told me that your dad's a target, the church is a target, people want him dead and the church dead. I'm not so sure I want to do that. I'm not saying anything, but my hairdresser, she jumped in and said, oh, no, 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 no. He can't come. He's got kids. And what she meant by that is I had kids. I had to stay home with them. I couldn't be out late at night at a church. But what I'm thinking is I have kids. I can't go to your church tonight with the possibility of being killed. Isn't that ridiculous? God, guess what? I have kids, so I can't be martyred. I have kids So that exempts me from suffering. Do you think that's the way our brothers and sisters around the world think? Oh, I have a family. I can't be killed for my faith. Oh, I have kids. I can't be martyred. My hairdresser and her friend were telling me how they know 
lots of people, friends and family who've been killed and persecuted for their faith. Who am I to say, I have a family, therefore I'm exempt? That's why we need to be around our brothers and sisters who are pressed, persecuted, so we can pray for them, but they also encourage us with this boldness for Jesus Christ. And that leads us to talk about salt. Let's talk about salt, this engaged living, this metaphor of salt. Look at verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. What does this mean, salt? There are many ways that this could be interpreted. Some see salt as a preservative, that due to the lack of refrigeration during this time, salt was rubbed into fish or meat to slow down the decay. So in this sense, we could say believers are salt in the world to restrain evil. Others view salt more as a flavoring, like flavoring characteristics to what they would eat, meaning that believers have some sort of kingdom-centered seasoning that has a positive effect upon others. Some also interpret salt to be like a fertilizer in some soils, which would mean that followers of Jesus promote the growth of God's kingdom. It's hard to tell exactly what Jesus has in mind with regard to salt. But if you put it all together, he definitely wants believers to be having an impact on the world. That we are to embody these beatitudes, these kingdom norms and standards, and we are to impact people for the glory of God. But the flip side is, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? Jesus says it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. If the distinctiveness of salt is lost, it's worthless. Throw it out. Let it be trampled under people's feet. In the same way, if someone claims to be a follower of Jesus and is not following Jesus, impacting others, then their faith is worthless. They are an imposter disciple and useless. And this, this metaphor is warning us not to blend in with the world, but to be a distinct people that impact the world. I once read this book, and you probably could read this in several different places, but I read this book called Kingdom Ethics. And, and it said that one of the implications of the church being salt on the earth is that the church is a pioneering community. Community that the church is so distinct from the world that they stand out, that they are this pioneering community that impacts people with the gospel. Now, I want you to think about this. Many of you uh, can think about past generations and the work that past generations have done in impacting the world with the gospel. In the past, the church, this is awesome. You know this. The church has led the way 
and building hospitals. I mean, all around, we got hospitals with church names on it, Baptists, Methodists, Presbyterian. They started schools. Christians have reformed prisons. They have sought the abolition of slavery. Christians have established nursing homes and orphanages, all the while proclaiming the gospel. We are to be a church as a body that is a pioneering community. Uh, We are to step out in such a way that we collectively impact the world for the long haul, caring for people, loving people, being this distinct community, even in America, that stands out. Now, I don't know if any of you are ready to start hospitals or orphanages right now, probably not, but as individuals collectively in our, even our little small groups, those who are suffering in our group, we can bring them meals. And when their neighbors say, who are these people that keep bringing you all these meals? And you say, well, that's my church. They're taking care of me. Do you need some meals too? And when people look at our church, may they not see our church where we're going at each other, may see our church having unity and love. Unlike the world, which is so divided right now, may our church not be divided. May we be this pioneering community that is distinct in our unity, that is like salt, attractive to the rest of the world, so people can see that we not only believe in Jesus, we actually live what we believe This brings us to the last metaphor, light. We're not to withdraw, even though we're distinct, we're to engage the world. Look at verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Huh, I thought Jesus was the light of the world. Well, he is the light of the world, but his followers who have been transformed by grace are also called the light of the world. The nature of the disciples is light as the reign of God in Christ has changed us, right? And and don't just think, you know, I know you grew up singing the song at camp, you know, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Don't don't just think about you. (laughs) Once again, think more collectively, the pioneering community, or as it says here, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden we are to be this city set on a hill in this dark, lit, this dark land. We are to be this well-lit city that cannot be hidden but stands out. Look at verse 15. Jesus says, nor does anyone <clears throat> light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. <laughs> It'd be so absurd to think about someone who would light one of these little oil lamps with a little wick and then stick it under a basket. Why in the world would you do that? It wouldn't be any good at all. That is why you take that little lamp and you put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Now to the point, verse 16. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Your distinctiveness as a believer, and our distinctiveness as a pioneering community church should be to bring attention and praise and glory to God so that when others see us, this city on a hill, they see these good works that we are doing, all praise will go to God. 
You see, the Christian life is more than just our little private devotional life where we wake up, get our coffee, get out our Bibles. It's, it's more than that. And it's more than our corporate worship services. We are called to engage the world as light by doing good works. We are saved by grace through faith alone and the finished work of Christ alone. If you are truly saved, you will produce fruit. You will produce good works and good deeds. And part of that is gospel proclamation, the promotion of justice and mercy and peacemaking, lives characterized with integrity, considering others better than ourselves, using our money to care for others, words that are gracious and kind, and basically an all-around life that lives for the will of God. This is the weighty life. This is not the trivial life. It's the weighty life. It's the life that brings glory to God. And we are told that as we live this week, unbelievers will see our good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So not only did we see the response earlier in the passage, right, where believers are persecuted for their good works and following Christ, but sometimes unbelievers will see our good works and give glory to the Father in heaven. They see believers who are distinct followers of Christ. They see good works and they bring glory to our Father in heaven. And that's what we want to happen from our weighty life. So here's the deal. This passage is telling us that God, in his grace and for his glory, is saying don't lose your saltiness and don't hide your light. God is telling us how to be distinct and engage the world. God is telling us how to, to maximum impact for his glory, and it's through good works. The good works don't save us, but they're a natural expression of those who are saved. It's the fruit of a transformed life. Do you see what he's getting at? I, I do Bible study with my son. He's 14, and his friend, and, and we've been studying, like, we studied 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, we're, we're studying Titus, and one of the big things that keeps coming out is don't just believe stuff. You live it. Don't just say you believe the word of God and you don't live it. Those who believe the word of God by grace will live it. Not perfectly, will make mistakes, but we actually live it. We actually do what it says. Too many times down in the South, we have cultural Christians that say they believe, but their lives do not reflect belief. We want to believe and act. We want faith combined with works where it displays works saved by faith but those who are saved will display works works don't save us jesus saves us but those who are saved will display works so i'm going to share this with you because we're just not going to be about talk we're we'll about action and i'm telling you this can be pressed upon you and it's pressed upon you daily we're not just going to be talkers but doers of the word i once read about christians in Germany, who hid Jews during the Holocaust. So the Nazis were out to kill Jews, and some of the Christians helped to hide them. And the author of the book said this, and, and this is striking to me, this is memorable to me, on how Christians helped Jews. Listen to this. It was not enough to pray for Jews. It was not enough to hope for the best for Jews to wish someone would help the Jews, to have feelings of compassion toward the Jews, 
or to dream of a world in which neither Jews nor anyone else would be murdered. Nor was it enough to have the intention of helping Jews, to talk about helping Jews, or to make plans to help the Jews. What had to happen was for Christians to welcome needy Jewish strangers into their homes, to provide this much food and that much money, offer hiding places and hygienic services and medical care and false identification and transportation and protection and to do such things indefinitely at constant risk. And there were believers in Jesus who did that, many of them at the cost of their lives. And we look back now and we give glory to our Father in heaven for Christians who stepped up to help the persecuted Jews. They obeyed, they were salt, they were light, and they let it shine with their good works. Isn't that awesome? But let me tell you something really, really horrible. You ready for this? Most of the Christians at least the professing Christians in Germany, didn't do anything. They didn't do anything. Well, why not? Well, maybe it's just the way things already were. They didn't want to be persecuted. They didn't want people to mess with them. They wanted to play with it safe. And I think one of the dangers in our church today and in the church in America is that we can do a lot of talking without a lot of actions. We can talk, talk, talk. And I can preach sermons week in and week out. And we may do a lot of this aspirational talking, but where is the action? We are called to be salt. We are called to be light, to let our good works and our good deeds be shown so that our Father may receive glory. And you may not be a missionary in a foreign land, but wherever you are right now, God has placed you there and he wants to use you to impact the people around you for Jesus. He wants to use you to impact those who are suffering around you for Jesus. God has called you and placed you. I don't care what age you are. You are not dead. You are alive. God wants to use you for maximum impact for his glory Right here, right now, wherever you're out. Do you believe that? Let's ask God to empower us and give us eyes to see how to glorify him. Let's pray. Lord, you have saved us. You have saved us. You intervened and brought us Jesus brought us to the Father through his finished work and his resurrection. I just ask you give us eyes to see people around us that need Jesus, and we are the ones to tell them. Give us eyes to see those who are needy around us, and we are the ones to care for them. Give us eyes to see those who are emotionally hurting, and we are the ones to talk to them. Lord, I just beg you, to help us not to be just hearers of the word this morning, but doers, so that others may see these feeble, grace-fueled good deeds and give glory to you and you alone.
In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this message. It was preached recently at Village Bible Church. You can hear this message or let others know about it by visiting our website at vbchsv.org or call us at 922-0404. Meanwhile, have a blessed day as you walk along the way, guided by God's Word.